You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, well, good morning. Good being with you guys this morning. Uh, my name's Ryan. I serve as a lead pastor here at North Valley. We're in a teaching series called This is the Life, and we're going to be in 1 John this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up there. Um, this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the importance of love and commitment as it is... Uh, Commitment Sunday, then I want to encourage you to be thinking about um, just your personal commitments. Uh, As we get going this morning, um, you've received a commitment card later in the service. I'm going to call you to fill that out if uh, you feel so led and uh, participate and contribute towards what God's doing at North Valley uh, to help renovate that campus. About a year ago, we started that strategic initiative to buy that land, nine acres of land. We did it, and we're moving forward in that process. And then today's the day where those of you that have been part of the vision briefings or you've received some communication and you just say, hey, this is where I want to be. This is my church home. This is where I want to begin to invest into God's work in the North Valley and be a part of that renovation process so we can get our church on site and do all that. So that's going to happen later in the service. This morning, what I want to do is I want to paint the picture of what love and commitment look like uh, out of 1 John. I'll use 1 John to walk through that, and you're going to see a picture of what love looks like, a commitment of what love looks like, the promises of what God's word says when we do love and we commit ourselves to love one another and love the Lord. Uh, So we're going to see all that this morning. But to tell you, uh, just give you an example, my wife and I, we've been married uh, going on 14 years this December. Last night was date night at the house. And so I'm sitting at the table with my kids, and I just thought I'd just do like a little questionnaire with my kids to prep them, because later at around 8 o'clock, all the kids go to bed, got three kids, two 11-year-old twins, and then uh, Maya, five years old. And so I asked the question, I said, hey guys, you know later tonight, mom and dad just want some time alone? You need it, you know, five-year-old kid and two 11-year-olds just want some time alone. Uh, And so I just got a question for you. Uh, Who do you think dad loves uh, first in in life, uh, second in life, and third in life? And uh, one of my kids said, well, dad, you've told us before uh, that you love God first, and and that's really important to you. And I said, thanks very much. You're right about that. Secondly, uh, you you love mom second. And my little five-year-old's like, what about me? You know, wants to be right behind God, right in front of mom, five-year-old little Maya. Um, so um, my son says, yeah, dad, you, you told us you love mom second, and then we're third. And I said, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's right. I do. Because, you know, the Bible actually does teach that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And when we try to love our spouse more than God... We try to make our spouse be God, and our spouse can never be God. And so I, I just asked that question to the kids so that it would frame the evening to remind them, like, hey, it's date night, I want some time alone. And then I just thought, well, this would be an interesting question. What's the priority of love for you kids? Like Sam, Riley, and, and, and uh, open it up. Like, who do you love kids, first, second, and third? And Riley, she's a little sharp kiddo, she says, well, I'll, I'll tell you who Sam loves, first, second, and third. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, well, this will be interesting. And everybody kind of put down their forks and just listening to little Riley for a moment. And she says, number one, dad, you know, Sam loves God. 
And I'm like, well, that's great. You know, that's right. Sam does love God. Number two, uh, Sam loves mom and dad. And Maya's like, oh, okay. And then she, uh, we're like, well, who does he love? Number three. And she goes, oh, that's easy. He loves Bethany. <laughs> and I, I mean, Bethany, I'm like, I think that's my friend's dog. And <laughs> my wife's like, who's Bethany? I'm like, that's our friend's dog. I mean, she is lovable. You can see, like, you know. She's almost part human, you know, and, you know, here, here she's getting tucked in at bed. <laughs> That's Riley, okay? So you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, when it comes to love and commitment, you have to ask yourself is what is the priority in loving God and loving people and how do we demonstrate that? This morning, what I want to do is I want to walk through the text, and I want to give you kind of a picture of what does love really look like? And we're going to see that God demonstrates his love perfect in the commitment of Christ on the cross. It's the greatest example of love. And then we're going to see like, okay, well, what's the problem with love and commitment these days in our culture, how we fail to love well and commit. And then we're going to look at just kind of the, 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 the plan in which we're to love and then the promises if we do commit ourselves to, to love. I mean, loving God and loving people, it's the greatest commitment. It's the greatest responsibility that you have in life. It's your greatest purpose is to learn to love God and learn to love people. I mean, it literally is. And so we're going to do this. I'm going to have you stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read just a portion of the text that we'll be diving into this morning, help orient your mind and uh, kind of see where we're going, and, 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 and then we'll work through uh, the passage. So it is 1 first, John 4, 7. It starts like this. He says, John, that's the nearest and dearest disciple of Jesus, lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, understood who he was. At the time when Jesus started recruiting disciples, John's there, and he's one of the youngest, and he lives to be one of the oldest living disciples. And he writes 1 John, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus Christ to encourage the church to follow in the teachings of Christ as the Son of God. And so he writes to the churches and he wants to emphasize love and commitment. So here it is, 1 John 4, 7, he says, Beloved, he writes with this dear affection towards the churches, all those that are call themselves Christians in the time of the Roman Empire. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. The love of God, how is it made manifest? Through Christ. Look what it says. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We'll come to that word again. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, that lives in us, dwells within us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we ask that you do your work in and through uh, this time together. Give us a greater vision of what love and commitment look like in our life. Let your word orient us. 
bring to us eternal values to shape our earthly experience in day-to-day, in family, in work, in, in business, in culture, in every profession that we enter into, God, I pray, and even through this Thanksgiving holidays, give us a greater vision for love and commitment as, as de- described in your scripture. In Christ's name, everybody said, amen. Here's, here's what I want to in- encourage you as an introduction to just kind of understanding this idea of love is love is described in the Bible as not a feeling. It's a commitment to act in a way that expresses a deep affection or regard for others. In other words, love is not just some feeling. Actually, if you look up the word love in the Webster's Dictionary, you're going to see that it is a feeling. They're going to describe it and define it as a feeling. But the Bible is different. And so you have to ask, what authority are you going to wrestle with or live under? Is it Webster's Dictionary or is it God's Holy Scripture? And the way the Bible is going to describe and, just, and demonstrate love is love is this active choice. And, and the greatest way you can express and show love, just take your family, for example, is through giving gospel love. What is gospel love? Gospel love is commitment love. It's the kind of love that you love somebody and they don't deserve it. Like gospel love is literally loving your spouse, even when your spouse doesn't really want to reconcile, you love anyway. You demonstrate a commitment to work it through, to love them anyway. Gospel love is what God demonstrates for us on the cross, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Gospel love is loving people that are undeserving of that love. What do we do so many times in the Christian life? is we give what's called good works love. You, I, you, you will find my love, here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the example, you will find my love if you do the right thing. I will love you if you do good work. And I will, you know, and we've kind of put it under the umbrella of the five love languages, you know. Um, well, if you show me quality time, then I shall love you. If you speak to me words of affirmation, I shall love you. You did not fill up my love tank, so I'm not going to love you. That's good works love. Is there something wrong with the five love languages? No. Is there something wrong with the idea of the love tank? Like, you know, I mean, those of you that not heard this before, it's very popular evangelical conversations about love. It's like, hey, if you want to experience love, you got to fill up people's love tank. What do they want? They want words of affirmation. They want acts of service, kindness, all that. And so, but then I'm, a, I'm concerned that what we're doing is we're saying, I will love you if you treat me a certain way. Give me a break. I, I mean, so, so, so good works love is I'm going to love you if you act a certain way. Gospel love is I'll love you when you're even undeserving of love. That's the kind of love that kids need to be raised up in underneath the home. That's the kind of love that our culture just finds breathtaking, awe-shattering, like, whoa. People don't even deserve it, and they love anyway. You know, I found it interesting that during the time of the bubonic plague in Europe, uh, the people that were going into the cities to rescue the people that were diseased and infected were the Christians, Going in and helping people that are undeserving, unworthy, 
diseased and messed up, and the Christians go in and begin to help revive those cities. So it's a good picture for the kind of love. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. So the greatest commandment of Jesus is love. Uh, Jesus said this, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36, the great commandments. Jesus said, l- replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first greatest commandment. The second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as yourself. What connects those two commandments? Love God, love neighbor. What's the connection? Love. That's what, that's what connects it. What's your purpose in life? Love God, love neighbor. If you can figure that out, God does great things in and through you. Just make that commitment. I will learn to love God more and more in my life. Increase my capacity for love, God. I want to experience your love so that I can extend your love. Notice that it said love God first, and then you love people second. So at the dinner table, I told the kids, kids, I got to love God first, and then I can love your mom. And if we can build a family, a marriage together, we can build a family. So here it is. Uh, the key theme of John is this, is love as well. He says a very memorable verse. Many of you have memorized this. Uh, we love because he first loved us. John echoes the teachings of Christ. And what John does is he doesn't leave you alone to not understand what love really looks like. So I want to give you the picture of love, gospel love, the kind of love that we need to commit ourselves to in life. The, the, the God's greatest commitment was the cross. This is the greatest picture of love. 1 John 4.10 says this, in this is love. Not that we have loved God. So it's not that we just love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's say that word together. The propitiation for our sins. John already touched that once. In fact, the first time I taught on that uh, word propitiation, I came back the next day on Monday, and I was like, oh, man, there was so much stuff there in that big word called propitiation. I'm going to, if I can hit it one more time, Lord, that'd be great. And then I run ahead to chapter four, and I'm like, there it is. I get to do it again. Uh, Here's here's what I want to help you understand. Propitiation is the idea of the work of the cross. So, So there's several ways, and God describes Uh, the work of the cross of God's greatest sign of love for you and for me is the work of the cross. And he describes that in God's, God's word describes that for us to understand how we see God's love towards humanity. The first way is, uh, here's a little uh, graph chart that we built. It looks like it came out of Minecraft. It's kind of like retro looking. Uh, but, but, but this, let me help you orient you, and we'll get down to propitiation and understand the differences and how it's different. Um, the work of the cross is this, is that the Bible talks about reconciliation. You know, like, that's kind of the first biblical word that, 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 uh, that, that comes here today that we look at is reconciliation. It literally means is that there's a type of language and it refers to like personal relationships. I mean, did you know that God wants a personal relationship with you? But the problem is, is with humanity is humanity's lived in sin and you got a holy, righteous, almighty God. And so you ask, how can they be reconciled? Like if you've caused destruction in a relationship and you're not reconciled, you're, you're at odds against each other. And the Bible describes the work on the cross as this work of reconciliation. And the human need behind that is that we're separated. 
And then yet the result is of the cross, God demonstrates his work on the cross by bringing us back to God through Jesus Christ. And then there's this word called redemption. And if you're in the business world, this is a term that maybe uh, helps you understand the work of the cross. And God uses this, I think, to help illustrate and tell the grand story and the glory of Christ on the cross in multiple ways to retell the story. But it's a marketplace term. And, and the human need is, is that literally like, we're in debt. Humanity is in debt. They've fallen away from God, rebelled against God, broken his law, and literally it's like this spiritual debt that they can't get their way out of. They were literally spiritually, we are spiritually bankrupt without Christ. And so we're in debt to our sin, and the Bible describes it like that. And what happens with Jesus Christ on the cross is that Jesus pays it all. He pays all of our debt. And the great news about redemption is this, is that Jesus doesn't just pay the debt. He gives you a surplus of righteousness. So the debt's not just paid off in your account of spiritual bankruptcy, but when you believe in Jesus Christ, the debt's been paid and your accounts are full. That's good news. That's called gospel love. It's not good works love. And he doesn't give you this because you are attractive. He doesn't give this to you because you just obey and do all the right things. He gives this to you because God is love. But he's also just He's also just, and so he'll deal with sin. And this is this idea right here in justification. The idea of justification is that in a court of law, God's law, his holy law, he's got a way in which things work. We as humanity, we break God's law. And he says, I've got to deal with that. So how do I deal with that? It would, imagine yourself in the courtroom. You're wearing orange. You're in shackles. You've broken the law. You've lied, you've coveted, you've stolen, you've lusted after somebody else. You've broken the law. So you stand there in the courtroom and God the Father is the judge, right? And you're there in the courtroom, you're in the blazer orange, you got the chains. Sheriff Joe might even be in the room. You're sitting there and you're in the chains and you wonder how in the world am I going to get out of this? And what happens metaphorically is God comes down and he takes that that orange jumpsuit, and he places over you a robe of righteousness, and he says, I'm going to declare you righteous because I have the power and the authority to do that. And you walk out of that courtroom being justified and made right, and you are so undeserving. That's gospel love. John wants us to see that, that God sent his son to show us what love looks like, and it came at a high commitment. He justifies us. He declares us righteous. That word justification means declared. So like when God looks at you as a believer, he, he declares that you're righteous, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And the perfect work, the good work that it took to get your in the right status was Jesus Christ. And all we do is simply believe in him. And so while we were guilty, Christ takes our guilt and takes our sin and shame and goes to the cross. And we are, in a sense, pardoned. And then there's this word propitiation. Propitiation is good news because what it says to us is that there's a holy, righteous, almighty God, and he has a righteous anger. His righteous anger is against 
sin. His righteous anger is against injustice. Every rape, every killing, every corruption that you see and injustice that you see, you need to know God hates that. And he's a great God of love, but his love is just. And so he's going to deal with that. And so how does he deal with that? He does it through this biblical word called propitiation. And every single one of us have violated God's law. We've, we, at one point or another, we have not uh, kept up God's word and commitments. And so you say, how can we, an almighty, righteous God, have a relationship with somebody who's rebellious and a renegade, not obeying God's holy, perfect law? And that word comes through propitiation. Literally, it means that we're under wrath. Apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're at odds with God, the heavenly Father. And what God does to demonstrate this and deal with this, it's like he puts Christ forward as a propitiation to be the perfect sacrifice, be the perfect atonement for us. And he absorbs that wrath. And so when we look at a relationship with God, when we look at a relationship with a father, he's not angry at us like in a, a, a face of fury, but all we find as believers is a face of his favor. And that happens because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so the anger that God has against sin, he doesn't want to destroy the person who says, I want to live for you. He doesn't want to do that, but he says, I've got to deal with injustice and sin. I can't tolerate it. So how does he deal with that? He puts Christ forward as a propitiation to absorb all that. And then what we find with God is not his fury, as believers, all we find is his favor. I don't know if you had a dad that was rough on you, beat you up or said mean things to you, abused you mentally, physically, emotionally, however, and you were worried about how, God, how your father would treat you. Well, you need to know as a believer in Jesus Christ, the, the, the face of our heavenly father is fixed and it has favor only for you. And no matter what you do, or what you've done in the past, it's all set. Because not because of the things that you have done, but because of what Christ has done. And Jesus deals with that fury of saying, I know that this person has struggled with alcoholism or lust or greed or whatever, but I have taken care of that. And all that we find with God now is favor because of this idea of propitiation. And so the holiness the justness of God, how he hates sin, is diverted to Christ. He takes it upon himself because he is the perfection that we need. And all we find with our Heavenly Father is favor. Isn't that good? So God's greatest commitment to us was on the cross. And this idea of propitiation, John illustrates that because he wants us to see that God has demonstrated love at a great, great commitment. The problem with love is that we have a problem for commitment, and John recognized that it's not just a 21st century issue. It's going on in the first century as well, even within Rome. And he says this, 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. They were afraid of the wrath or the judgment to come. And John's to reassure them that as you experience the love of God through Jesus Christ, you got nothing to fear. 
No matter what you do, God gives you gospel love because of Jesus Christ. And literally, like that prisoner in the courtroom in a jumpsuit of orange, that's changed. You profess Jesus Christ as Lord, the judge has come forward and placed over you a robe of righteousness, said, let me give you the keys to those locks. I'll unlock that for you. You're pardoned. You're set free. And you say, how do I do that? You don't. There's nothing you did. You didn't wink at the judge. He just came down and did that for you. And so you're set free, and there's this gospel love. And John's saying is that we ought to love like that. We ought to love like a gospel love, like undeserving, unmerited. When people are unworthy, that's the kind of love and commitment that we need to give people. Oh, that's the kind of love we need in marriage, isn't it? It's the kind of love that a father and a son need in each other. It's the kind of love that a dad and a daughter need in each other. It's the kind of love and commitment that we need in our culture. And John says, look, you don't need to be afraid for love casts out fear. There's a fear of commitment in our culture, even in relationships. There's many reasons why. I've illustrated five. I've got five reasons. It's not in your notes, but you might want to jot this down. Because if this is you, it's going to hold you back from loving. You're afraid to love with a great commitment because you're, maybe you think there's just some options out there when it comes to a spouse or somebody. You, you know, when it comes to a, a married relationship, I hear this oftentimes. I say, why don't you marry that girl? She's great. Well, I'm just keeping my options open, man. I'm like, you go into Starbucks today, man, there's too many options. What do you want? I want a caramel macchiato, double O, espresso, extra shot, blah, blah, blah. You're like, what'd you just say? There's like options everywhere. We live in a culture where there's lots of options. There's a fear of commitment because we have so many options and we want to keep our options open. There's a fear of commitment today in loving people because we know it takes a lot of time. If you're really going to love somebody, even the ones that are tough, it takes a lot of time, doesn't it? And wear you out. You can fear the fear of commitment in our culture is people feel trapped. If I really commit to love this individual... I'm trapped here. Or there's a fear of failure. If I love this person and they don't love me back in return and I fail and it doesn't work out, I'm a failure. Or there's a fear of past hurts. You got a lot of past hurts. Maybe you're, you, 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 you know, when it comes to the marriage, your mom and dad divorce, so you, by nature, you just don't want to commit. You want to keep your options open and you don't want to create, perpetuate that problem. You know, it's funny, in the 1960s, young men and women were getting married in their early, early 20s, and then today, it's in their late, late 20s, and they're delaying commitments, and I think uh, much of that has to do with the new emphasis, and I think it's great, is uh, ladies are getting college educations, and that's wonderful, but there's also this perpetual pattern of just trying to express love without commitment. So you have more and more people that want to live together without commitment, right? You have more and more people that want to say, oh, we love each other, but there's no commitment. I wear a wedding ring, right? What is this, a sign of what? Commitment, commitment. It's a sign. I'm committed in this. The result of this uh, non-committal culture, I'll call it, is that one-third of babies born in America today are born without a loving mom and dad in a commitment. I mean, they're in your family, right? They're in my family. 
I can't even name all, 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 the, all the kids that are around, running around across the country. And so why is that? Because we're afraid of commitment. What is the greatest testimony of our Christian faith? Love and commitment. That's what it is. Why is that? Because God demonstrates that, this gospel love. That when people aren't deserving, they're going to get loved anyway. What do we do? Well, you got to demonstrate your love really, really well, work really well, and then I'll love you. That's not gospel love. That's good works love. Put the test on your own marriage and ask the question, do I give you gospel love or do I give you good works love? Ooh, that'll be an interesting lunch conversation. Do I love you with gospel love or do I love you with good works love? And do me a favor and don't be so defensive. Just listen and see what they say. And then say this, I'll make a commitment to love you more with the love of Christ. I'll make a commitment because of the love that God's working in my life to love you more like that. You don't want to do your kids like that. Oh, you'll get my love and my favor when you behave perfect. Like, good works love. So the problem with love and commitment is this fear of commitment. It's a non-committal culture. And Christianity calls us that we ought not to be afraid to love. And so the question is, is how do we love when it's not easy? How do we love when it's not easy? And in John, he, he writes this. It says, uh, 1 John 4, 21, And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Not, hey, this would be a good idea. Hey, this is an option. But no, like literally, John, what he's doing here is he's referring to the commandments of Christ. He says, this is a commandment that we have from him. That's Jesus. And John's echoing Jesus. Whoever loves God, you say you're a Christian, must also love his brother. Uh, That's the brother and sister in Christ. uh, The church is described as like a family. Let me show you a picture of my brothers. Uh, we look like Mumford and Sons in this picture. Um, I grew a beard because uh, John, uh, I, told, I wanted to put a little pressure on uh, Pastor Jonathan and, and the rest of the, the uh, committee, the team, to, to get us on site. And I said, I want you to look at my face every day. I'm not going to shave until we get on that campus. And he's like, oh, boy. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, so that's hence the beard. So men, if you want to just not shave and join the, join the Nazarite vow, you could do that. Uh, and, and we'll shave when we get on site. And our wives might not be happy about that all the way through. But um, these are my brothers right here. Uh, my, my dad on the, uh, the end there, white beard, older brother Rob, and then Dave and, um, with the big beard. And I love these guys, and they know me, and uh, I know them. And, uh, you know, if it's my family's like yours, it's not everything's perfect, right? And you're going to have Thanksgiving this coming week, and the Bible talks about loving your brothers. And literally, that's my responsibility as these biological brothers, but the Bible specifically is talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the challenge is not that you love like you just, you're, you're going to love like you should love, like you must love. So how do we do that? Let me give you a couple of things. The Apostle Paul talks about love is patient, love is kind. And I want to summarize a lot of that teaching in in Corinthians 13 by giving you three points is be caring, be honest, and be faithful. 
be caring, be honest, and be faithful. And honesty is helpful because it just tells the truth. It's not asking you to lie or dismiss or dysfunction or whatever's going on. But be caring. is uh, You need to be caring towards uh, your family and your friends and demonstrate that this is a sign or a symbol of your Christianity. Uh, the Bible goes so far to say is that you, you don't really love God if you don't really love people. And um, so be faithful in that. So what is the result of this, of this uh, process of making a great commitment to love others? Uh, John says this like this. He says, a new commandment, uh, John echoes, or this is Jesus speaking out of the gospel of John. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So God demonstrates this love, shows you how to love, gospel love that you also are to love one another by this. Look, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Literally, we can make a great impact in our community and our world, and all people will know. How in the world could all people know that we are disciples of Christ by loving one another? Well, the beauty is, is that the church is a diverse group of people of diverse education, diverse economics, diverse ethnicity, diverse. And when we love people, literally our lives go into all spheres of influence into the world around the, in the church and around the world. And we're to show the love of Christ to all people and all people know that we're true Christians by the way we love one another. When you make a great commitment to demonstrate this love, here's what it does for you. It builds a personal witness in your life. When you decide, hey, I'm going to learn to love people. I'm going to give them gospel love, undeserved love, like the love that God gives me. Uh, it builds a personal witness. That's what John talks about is uh, mentioned in John. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. That's about witness. It's about people knowing that you are have a reputation of being a man or a woman of God's word, a Christian. It also, it builds up rather than breaks down. Loving people with great commitments, you can build. You can build a great family. You can build a great legacy by your love and commitment. You don't build a great family and a great legacy with just love. It needs to have a loving commitment. And so it also can expand opportunities and it will make an eternal impact. You know, as we look at our, our, our church and where we're at, what's made this church great is men and women have made a great commitment to demonstrate their love and sacrificial giving, to serve and invest into a church to make a great impact. I want to show you just a picture of the campus. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to take out that commitment card. If you have one, uh, you should have one. And um, I want to encourage you to do this, is that you realize that as you invest and make your commitment to this church to build a great church and you're giving and you're serving, what you're doing is you're really exponentially investing into eternal works to share and show the love of Christ. I mean, there's some great things you could do in life. You could invest into a library and see that people get a public education and all this other stuff. You could invest in a hospital. But the church is the greatest entity on the world, in the world. And the Bible talks about the church is the vessel in which God uses to unfold his redemptive plan for all of humanity. 
And so I want to encourage you as you think about your great commitment and your love this morning that you would consider uh, being a part. Some of you have already planned on this and you're excited about doing this. Um, Some of you have already made a commitment financially to help us purchase that property, which we did, and we're super thankful and grateful for that. What took churches, many churches, 10 years, we did in three. And um, that happened because people like you and my family and our staff team came together and said, we're going to make a great commitment because we believe in the great commandments. That's to love God and love neighbor. And we want that to echo through the North Valley. And so um, this morning, what I want to do is just remind you of this take-home truth, and then I'll walk you through this commitment card. I'll invite the worship team up. But the take-home truth that you can apply is great love comes with a great commitment. If you want to build a great family, a loving family, you better make a great commitment. If you want a great marriage, great commitment. If you want to be a part of a great church that it shares and shows the love of Christ, not only in the North Valley, but around the world, great commitment. And that's what... Jesus calls us to. He says, your greatest commitment, your greatest responsibility in life is love God, love neighbor. Love is that key theme that the Apostle John hits on this morning that we've looked at. And so this morning, what I want to encourage you to do is you've got a commitment card um, that you received on your way in. And there's three little check boxes. I want all of you to check at least one of those. If you're new, you're off the hook. You're brand new. This is your first Sunday. Just watch what God's doing in our church. Um, But the first one says this. It says, I want to be a part, uh, and I'll give above and beyond my regular tithes and offerings, a one-time gift. So that would be the gift that you make today. Um, And then in addition to this one-time gift, give uh, over the next 18 months. And the reason why we're calling for 18 months is this is the time amount that our first group of people that said, hey, we want to help purchase that property and get on site, we'll all end together. So we're inviting, the our, our church grew tremendously over the last year. We went to two services and God's been doing great things through our church. We've seen three times the national salvations and uh, baptisms here in our local church. And in 18 months, we'll wrap up everybody that commitment. And so uh, if you're new and you've made that decision to it already today, I want to encourage you to just check that first box. Many of you came already with this filled out. You just check that. And then um, Pastor Jonathan's going to be in the middle of, of the uh, uh, theater. We're not in a worship center, but we can call it the worship center. Uh, Pastor Jonathan's over there just to show you where the offering is going to be. So you guys on the front row... Um, you, you, you could make your way that way. And then guys in the back and gals in the back, you could come down. Um, the second box is this. It says, I'm already participating and I want to finish up my existing pledge. That's my family. Uh, that's our staff. And that's about half of our church. Um, they've already made a commitment. And we just want to say, would you check that box and just say, hey, I already made the commitment, but I want to pray today. I want to give, I want to check that. And I'm going to renew my commitment for prayer for this church and the impact that we're going to make in this community. And so if you check that, you can put that over there in the uh, offering. And the last one says, I'm already participating, but I want to increase my pledge because I got an opportunity financially to make that happen. So I want to do that today. So 
Um, if that's you, you know, sometimes financial situation comes in where you get an opportunity and um, something happens in your business or in your family dynamics and you got an extra opportunity and you want to give towards that, that's great. And what this is going to do, it's going to help us move forward as a church uh, to realize that God's called us to the fifth largest city in America and 87% of this valley is unchurched. And God wants to use North Valley to reach our North Valley for Christ. And I'm going to ask you to make a great commitment, your biggest and your best one-time commitment, those of you that are brand uh, new and want to do this, and then an 18-month pledge. And for those of you that have already, already done this, thank you for uh, giving and serving to secure that property. We're going to move forward and get out of this movie theater as fast as we can and get on our permanent home. Amen? Amen. So let me invite Ian and the worship team up. And again, you guys can just freely get up as you want to. Come over and make your commitment in there and we'll close out our service. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.